Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. So we move into our time of our scripture this morning, and um, last week was a, a short scripture passage that Pastor Dan read, so today I'm following suit with uh, another short but powerful scripture that I think can tie in uh, our message together today, and it's from First Chronicles uh, chapter 29, verse 11, reading from the NRSV translation. Hear these words. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours, O God. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations on our heart be acceptable to you, O God, because you are our rock, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you ever think it was cool to be in a club, a neighborhood club, perhaps a treehouse club when you were little, uh, affinity groups or clubs during, during, during school, during high school? Being in a club provides that feeling of belonging, building friendships and providing support, encouragement, and accountability to one another. Club. Belonging to and being committed to a club, the people and the purpose can be very affirming and life-giving. And it also helps us Get out of our own selfish ways, being part of a group, being around others. You know, when I was little, probably about 12, I arranged a little gymnastics club in my neighborhood, leading all the other kids' neighborhood friends on fine-tuning their wheels and their backbends. It was a good little leadership uh, experiment as well, but it was a fun little thing. I graded them, I encouraged them, and they encouraged me. We'd share uh, splits and backbends. It was kind of fun, and we all were better for it, my little neighborhood gymnastics club. Later in high school, I was in band and ran track and volleyball, volleyball, five foot high. I wasn't really good at volleyball, but cheerleading and the yearbook club, the ski club. I grew up in Maryland, so the closest uh, mountains we could go to were in the Poconos in Pennsylvania, about five hours away, but that was a cool club to be in. You could even make a case that your job outside the home is a club in your department, maybe. That's a club, kind of. Sports teams, of course, a club. Even church is like a club, right? And I know there can be negative connotations to a church club, right? If it's discriminatory or not inclusive, we can argue about that. (laughs) 
Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another. Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now that's one aspect of a good church club purpose for sure. Encouraging one another to avoid sin. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, didn't intend for Methodism to really be a denomination. It was a movement. Because John Wesley was an Anglican priest, loyal, dedicated, but, but he wanted more. He felt that relationships and Christian accountability, social and personal holy living is an important part of our faith journey and growth and our relationship with God. He felt strongly about this. But he still maintained being the Anglican priest, but you know, he just wanted, wanted to create a system where there was accountability. So in 1729, while uh, John Wesley was still a student at Oxford, he started a club with, with his brother Charles. I know you heard about some of this already last week, but refreshing your memory. And the purpose of this club was for fellowship and accountability in their Christian faith walk together. Now you can imagine that like at any time in our history and even today, that if something is unique or a little different uh, when it's formed, it could be kind of made fun of a little bit or mocked. Hence, the Holy Club was called by some, this club that, that, that John Wesley started. Some of his colleagues call it the Holy Club. So it may not have been John Wesley's first choice of a club name, <laughs> but it kind of stuck. It stuck. And the club members gathered and they rigorously self-examined themselves with one another. Now, self-examination, I don't know about you, but is not always our favorite thing to do. <laughs> but it can help us get over ourselves. It can be humbling if we allow it. Now, last week, what would John Wesley do and, and the concept was trust. That was week one of this sermon series that Pastor Dan started. This week, we're going to focus on getting over ourselves and yield to God. Now, if you recall, these are the 22 questions that, 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 that can help us get over ourselves. And I think he shared, if you, if you didn't get one, there might be some in the pews, but I think there's some in the back for you, the 22 questions for self-examination that John Wesley had as a part of his holy club. Now, what's interesting about this is the holy club that, that he formed predates was John Wesley's Aldersgate experience that Pastor Dan referenced last week, and many of you are familiar that Wesley's 1938 Aldersgate experience, almost 10 years after this Holy Club introduction, is where John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. 10 years after this Holy Club formation. And this gives me hope because... You know, I have a hard time, I don't know about you, but a hard time of thinking about myself as being holy. And truth be told, it's not the type of club I'd just naturally be drawn to <laughs> if the promotion for the Holy Cup. Come join us. I'd be intrigued, though. And on the outside, I might say, sign me up for this Holy Club. But on the inside, the reality is I'd be pretty intimidated. It's a good challenge 
to wrestle, though. Now, Wesley's list of questions circulated around from his, his diary excerpts to prayers to printed in different publications. These 22 questions would, would kind of pop up. And it was said that these, these holy clubs never exceeded any more than about 25 members, which I think is kind of a lot. 25 members. But they had a tremendous positive impact to the people in which they interact and made significant contributions in spreading the love of Christ just through their own self-examination and adjusting. Now, in retrospect, John Wesley saw in the Holy Club as kind of the first phase, if you will, of Methodism. And the second phase was the Methodist societies. It kind of morphed into Methodist societies, which ultimately became the backbone of the Methodist movement. So that's just kind of a little snippet of kind of where all this came from. So, 22 questions. Ouch. Because we all fall short. But what a club to be in, right? True confessions, if you have it in front of you, the list at all. The hardest ones for me as I went through them were 1, 5, 8, 11, 13, and 14. <laughs> There's probably more, but those are the ones that really were painful. And two of those, 5 and 8, are two of the four I'm going to talk about today. So Pastor Dan went through 1 through 4 last week, and I'm going to do 5 through 8 today. And when I looked at these Holy Club questions... It is indeed a self-examination, but what if it wasn't all about us? I know self-examination is about the person, right? You, the self. But what if it wasn't all about us? But before I unpack that, let's look at the questions. I'll refresh your memory. Again, there's 22. Uh, We're starting the sermon series starting last week. And the four self-examination questions that Pastor Dan addressed last week in his message, number one, and I want you to really think about these, okay? They're rhetorical. You don't have to share. (laughs) Number one, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Do I create the impression that I'm better than I am? Number two, am I honest in all my acts and words, or do I exaggerate? Number three, do I confidentially pass on to others what has been said to me in confidence? And number four, can I be trusted? Okay, so those are questions to ponder. Perhaps you pondered more about them after Pastor Dan preached on those last week. Impressions, hypocrisy, honesty, and confidentiality are all trust-related questions to ask ourselves. And Pastor Dan challenged us to, what would Wesley do? (laughs) And remember, Wesley's Holy Club and self-examination questions were implemented before his heart was strangely warmed by the Holy Spirit. And in that Aldersgate experience that Wesley had, it was his acceptance of the justification of Christ's love and forgiveness for us through his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Ten years after this Holy Club, 
Perhaps these questions helped Wesley get to where he wanted to be in his faith journey, which opened his heart to the Spirit or that warming. Perhaps these questions can help us deepen our relationship with God and strengthen our faith journey. So I drive a lot. Living in Slidell and working full-time in New Orleans, and then just kind of the regular stuff around town. We drive a lot, right, in our culture. And don't we, don't we think we're, we're the best drivers? <laughs> Paul and I joked that we were going to start a Paul and Tiffany's driving school. <laughs> we know how to drive. You see, it's an individual activity, yet there are many people driving around with us. It's like a driving club. <laughs> Those of us on the road at any given time. Think about it. We have to, we have to trust others, <laughs> right? <laughs> hold, is she really going to turn? Is that blinker on, right? Trust one another, hold one another accountable to following the, the signs and the rules of the road. And some drivers want more control than others. And what about what about merging and yielding to others? I'll try not to get on my soapbox about this one. Because I'm not from Louisiana, and sometimes I joke with Paul that the Louisiana driving manual uh, was missing the instructional pages on merging and yielding. <laughs> because merging and yielding are a big part of the, solidar or the, the solidarity of driving, because you're, you're in your car alone, yet these driving tactics, right, involve others. Think of acceleration lanes and circles or roundabouts or rotaries, they call them in, in New England. We have to merge into the path of others, yield to other drivers. And some people, in, the, in this case of, of just thinking about acceleration lanes and, and uh, roundabouts, some people are so fearful during this whole yielding and merging stuff that some just stop in their tracks on the road, right? When they're supposed to keep moving, yet still yielding to others first, right? And then there's other drivers that just barrel through, ignoring the other drivers around them because it's all about them, and they dominate no matter I think the best way is being a confident and obedient driver, firm, yet considerate of others, and easily able to yield to others. Follow me here. It is a metaphor I'm working at. <laughs> it's not always about us. On the road and in life, and especially Christian life. Bottom line is that we can be and should be an active participant in our holy living while yielding to God. We can maintain our momentum and not freezing in our tracks or speeding past God, but instead allow God to be the divine driving force. That said, when we think of Wesley's holy club self-examination question. And thank you for whoever handed out those questions um, in the congregation. I'm sorry, I wish we had them flash up there for folks online. But 
When we think about Wesley's self-examination questions, it's not just about me, me, me. It's if and how we yield to God in these self-focused questions. Where is God when we're answering these questions? Are we allowing God to drive our motivations, intentions, behaviors, actions? Do we really believe God is in control or is it all about us? We want to be in the driver's seat, don't we? Our scripture this morning reminds us of God's, God's power, glory, victory, and, and his majesty. God is the head of all, over all, heaven and earth. We are not in this alone. Thank you, Jesus. And that includes our efforts in holiness. God is with us. So let's look at this week's four questions, which I found especially challenging. Number five, am I a slave to dress, friends, works, habits? Now, when I think slave to, right, it's like, it's, it's, it's dominating, it's, it draws you in, you're, you're, you can't let go, you have to do it. And let's just look, break this down. It says dress, fashion, but also a slave to fashion, toys. Think about keeping up with the Joneses, our peers, homes, clothes, cars. Are we a slave to those very worldly things, whatever it may be? Are we a slave to time? <laughs> Whew, racing against the clock. Rush, 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 but also the flip side of time, procrastination. Sleep, being slovenly, slave to time. How about are we a slave to technology? Something John Wesley and them didn't have to worry about in that day, right? <laughs> Gadgets and phones and tech, techie objects, social media, the internet. Good grief, are we a slave to it? Luke 12, 34 says, where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are we a slave to work? Too much time at work, physically, as well as mentally, technologically, right? Constantly connected, a time eater for sure. Are we a slave to our habits? This is a tough one, friends. Those bad habits, vices, unwise routines, and how about a slave to money? Debt, weighing you down. And frankly, all these other, other items I've mentioned, money is tied into all of them, right? When you think about it, time is money, the cost of all the toys and technology, and the opportunities lost. So that's number five, my friend. <laughs> and that's just a few things that we could be a slave to and keep us from deepening our relationship and our commitment to Christ. And no doubt we all fall short, but it's something to think about and pray about. Number six, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? I don't know about you, but this one's loaded. Three very self-focused concepts. I mean, you could preach a sermon on just number six. 
really, on all of them. You know, our scriptures remind us that it's God's sovereignty, righteousness, that we should honor, respect, and put first in our lives and get over ourselves. Another familiar scripture says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Praising God is a form of yielding because we stop and pause and give him all the glory. Because when we're praising God and giving thanks, we are out of our own heads, right? That self-pity, self-justifying. It's important to give God praise even when things are tough in life and we wallow in our own mess. Romans 10, 3, 4 reminds us that suffering and trouble produces endurance and perseverance, and that produces character, and character produces hope. And in hope, we can get over ourselves. Number seven, did the Bible live in me today? Did the Bible live in me today? Now, first glance, this is another self-examination question that seems to be very internal, very self-focused, but when considered in the light of God's sovereignty and Christ in our hearts, it's actually an outward expression. If the Bible lives in us, then we should be living a Christian life in a way that we call bearing fruit. Sure, you've heard that term before, bearing fruit, bringing others to Christ, being Christ-like in our actions and behaviors that glorify God. Fruit-bearing in the biblical sense. Fruit-bearing is the results, outcomes that demonstrate what's inside of us. The Bible, Christ, what does that look like? With others. The Bible says not to, quote, follow wicked advice and don't let our leaves fade. In other words, be evergreen and true. And when our hearts and minds are heavy, we're reminded Jesus gives us rest. My yoke is easy. So how can the Bible in you live out of you or through you? What might that look like? And I have to share that my husband, Paul, over here, says a phrase to me, I don't know, a couple months ago he started it. Now it's like it's one of those good habits and routines that he says, every morning before I head out to work, I'm a, some of you know, a palliative care chaplain at Oshner here in New Orleans, every morning, and Paul said that one day, go let your light shine. And that stuck with me. What's in me, the love of Christ the Bible, metaphorically, in me, to let that shine out to others. Let your light shine. The last one for today, number eight, do I give the Bible Bible time to speak to me every day? Hmm. You know, one of our spiritual disciplines is Bible reading. The Bible can't speak to you if you're not reading it, right? (laughs) And like Wesley, I believe the Bible does speak to us. It's not called the living word for nothing. 
Because no matter, some of you have experienced this, I'm sure, no matter how many times we've read a verse, a chapter, a book of the Bible, or the whole darn thing, what you read and when you read hits your heart differently each time you read it. No? Anyone experience that? Yeah, I see some nods. and Because it just depends on where you are. And that's how God's speaking to you through those words, just for you. But of course, we have to get over ourselves with that attitude of, I know this verse. I've read it and quoted it many times. Or, I'm a good person, a follower of Jesus. I don't need to read the Bible to believe. Opening your heart. And asking God to take the lead to speak to you through the scriptures. Speak what he wants us to know and feel should be step one before you open that Bible. In my opinion. Daily, daily Bible reading is paramount in growing our faith. I think the last time I preached here, I shared with y'all a Christmas present I got um, that note-taking Bible. Have you ever seen that? I don't know. It got sucked into one of those Facebook ads and, <laughs> and the spiral bound and it's, you know, you open it up it's, and I have the New Testament and it just gives you space to write on the side and you can highlight and write. So, so since Christmas, I've been and really, really trying to do that daily and I, all truth, I probably, about, I probably get about five, five out of seven days I average. Uh, for doing that. And um, it's been very enlightening to, to, to read it. And I do chapter a day and highlight, write questions. And I also challenge you to try different Bible translations. There are so many translations. And seeing them side by side or looking up in a different Bible, you know, you have the CEB, NRSV, NIV, you have the message, there's, and of course, the King James, you have them all. And I confess, this note-taking Bible I have, it only came in the, um, what is it, American Bible translation? And it's, it's kind of a cross between the King James and like NRSV. It still has some of the vowels and, you know, it, it talks kind of backwards sometimes. But it's really helped me uh, look at the verses in different ways. And then I'll pull my CEB right next to it and read them both. So I challenge you, number one, to read your Bible every day. Number two, to ask God to speak to you through that Bible and then try different translations. 22 self-examination questions. Evergreen. They're evergreen questions. They're applicable uh, for Wesley's day and for today and beyond. Just might have some different nuances, right? Like the technology. These are very human-centered questions with divine guidance, if we're just open and yield to God Almighty. These holy club questions, I, you know, I went online and looked it up and, and, and saw that there was like a posting where people could comment under the, the 22 questions. And there was this dialogue on back and forth saying, well, is that like the law? I thought the law wasn't, you know, after Jesus Christ, the law wasn't pertinent. But these aren't laws, commandments, or rules, but they're guidelines in the form of a question. And through yielding and surrendering to God as the lead, the foundation, we should feel naturally compelled to be obedient to them despite our very, very human shortcomings. 
individually, collectively, and as God's children. Let's encourage and and support and challenge one another to, to get over ourselves and strive to up our game in personal holiness, a noble and God-loving, God-fearing, holy club in which we all should aspire to be an active and loyal member. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, help us, challenge us, empower us, and inspire us to deepen our relationship with you and the holiness Help us to be, to be better, Lord God, to, to, to really soften our hearts, open our hearts, and get us into a rhythm of good and faithful habits. Help us to stay on that straight path and not stray off, God, to stay focused on you because we know there are so many worldly things that, that, that can pull us away from you. So help us, God, in this, in this journey, this endeavor, to look deep, but not to make it all about us, that it's you with whom we serve and others with whom we serve. So help us to be more Christ-like, to help us to want to self-examine, and not only that, but improve. Lord God, we give you all the praise and glory and yield to you in all that we say and all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.